find a moment of stillness in your presence. Lord, in spite of everything that's going on in the world right now, in spite of everything that's going on in Australia, Lord, that we would just find rest in your presence, God. And know that, Lord, you are king over the flood, but, Lord, you are also king over the pandemic. Lord, you are king over everything. So we pray that we would step into this place of your presence this morning, God, with open hearts and eager expectation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to City Church this morning. It's been a bit of a whirlwind over the past few weeks with lockdown, with changing rules, with different regulations, people constantly questioning, what are we allowed to do? What aren't we allowed to do? Where do we go from here? What's next? It's crazy. But it's, it's always good to know that on a Sunday morning at 9.30, we can tune in and we can hear some worship. We can worship in our lounge rooms. We can hear the Word. That's what I look forward to. That's what's the rock in my life at the moment, is being able to come together as a church, even though we are in lockdown. I've got a few things this morning that I wanted to share with you. This morning, I want to talk about rebranding Christianity. I work in sales and marketing, and one thing we talk about pretty regularly is this concept of building a brand that people sort of associate with, with our company. People look at, look at us and they think of certain terms, they think of certain ways of living. And um, this morning I want to talk about Christianity and rebranding Christianity. And more sort of inwardly, I want to talk about, is eternity outdated? I have um, a variety of different jackets. I'm not quite like Joseph. I don't have one jacket with many different colors. I've got lots of jackets with, with one color, and they all mean different things. They all have a different perception. One thing that I realized when I started working um, in the building industry doing sales is that I've got to put on lots of different hats, but it's not always okay to wear a hat in different meetings or at different times, but you can always wear a different jacket. So this, this jacket here, I think when I wear this, what this sort of says is, is I'm from the Blue Mountains. Like the Mac Pack sort of style. I bought this one from Katoomba. And when I wear that and I walk into a meeting, people look at me and they go, I bet he's from the Blue Mountains. This is my token um, wedding jacket. I wear this when I go to a wedding. And it's sort of like, uh, it, it sort of shows that I, I'm dressed to impress. You know, I've got that perception of like, wow, he's, he's a very formal sort of, sort of guy. So I wear that jacket. That's the perception on that one. This next jacket, this, this one's quite interesting because this is me pretending to be a tradie. Like the, the high vis, I wear this if I'm on a building site and all the tradies look at me and go, oh wow, Will's also a tradie. I was wearing this once and um, I was down in, in Victoria. I haven't been there for a little while in the past 12 months. But when I was there last year, I was on this site and, and this bricklayer said, um, he goes, hey Will, um, what, what trade did you do? And I said, oh, I didn't actually do a trade. I, I went to Bible college. So um. That was a little bit unfortunate that that jacket's lost all of its meaning in that moment. This is my, I'm not on a building site, but I am a tradie sort of jacket. This next jacket is quite a good one because this one sort of tells the devil, no, not today. This is my raincoat. So whenever it's raining, I wear this around the city because it keeps the water off me. I had to buy this one after I converted to City Church, this next one, because this next jacket says, I'm a part of a Pentecostal church. You may have seen uh, Tim rocking this one this, this morning. But the next jacket has a little bit of a different meaning. This, this jacket here is what I wore for only 12 months in high school. And this is my school captain's jacket. And um, 
I wore this because it showed that I was sort of like um, like the face of the school. Like I was the, the guy that people looked to for, you know, that the sort of the strength. Like Peter was the rock of the church and I was sort of like the rock of Richmond High School. But but when people saw this jacket coming towards them, it, it sort of meant something a little bit different at my school. I got saved in high school when I was in year eight. I came to know Jesus when I was about 14 years old. And when I gave my life to Jesus, one thing I took really, really seriously was this idea that everyone needs to have the hope that I now have. Everyone needs to experience God the same way that I experienced God, the same way that I experienced Jesus, that transformative power. So I sort of made it my goal that every single day I was in school, I wanted to preach to everyone. I wanted everyone to know that Jesus was out there and Jesus loved them and Jesus had a purpose for their lives. So I'd put on this jacket and I'd walk around at lunchtime and I'd tell people about Jesus. I got in trouble a couple of times because I was probably a little bit extreme at times. Um, we, we did this one thing in, in 2012 for Easter. Me and, and a group of my friends that all got saved through high school, we decided that what we were going to do is we are going to tell everyone about Jesus. We are going to hand out a ton of Easter eggs, but we are also going to make these like wristbands that had different words imprinted on them. So what we did was we got these, this fabric, we turned it into a wristband, and then we imprinted things on it like love, faith, hope, sacrifice. And then we took red food dye and we dribbled it all over the wristband so it looked like the blood of Jesus. So on the Thursday before school went off for Good Friday, we're going around the school handing out Easter eggs and handing out wristbands. And everyone's wearing these wristbands and everyone's eating these Easter eggs. And we're telling everyone about the, like, the love of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And after lunchtime, I go to my next period of class in English. And um, the little, you know, the students that are sort of the, um, the office attendants for the day, this little year seven student come up and said, if, if Mr. William Stewart's here, he needs to go see the principal. And I was like, oh, no. So I went off to go see the principal, and I sat in his office, and he told me that I'm not allowed to proselytize. I didn't even know what that word meant. I'm not allowed to proselytize in school because I'm using my position of power to, to persuade or to intimidate people into believing in Jesus. And on his desk, he had one of these wristbands, and it had the, the red food dye all over it, and it said sacrifice right across the middle of it. And he said, do you know what I think this looks like? I was like, uh, I'm, I'm not sure, sir. And he goes, this looks like the sort of thing that the Japanese used to wear around their heads before they kamikaze their planes into the boats in the war. Is that what this is? I was like, no, that was never the intention. The intention was to tell people that, that there's a God out there that loves them and wants to bring them hope. But that, that was my goal through, through all of high school, was to leave high school knowing that I gave everyone an opportunity for hope, everyone an opportunity for life. Most people in the school knew that, that I had a relationship with Jesus, the students, the teachers. And one thing that I found incredibly difficult, but also I was incredibly grateful for, is when you walk around with a hope like, like what we have in Christ, when you walk around with, with a hope that's so evident because it changes the way that every part of your life works, people come to you in times of desperation and ask you some of the hardest questions um, that they have in their worlds. I remember in year 12, I just walked into school, and this girl that had given me such a hard time for years about knowing Jesus, come up to me and she goes, Will, I've got a question for you. I said, oh, what's that? And she was crying, and she asked me this question, and she said, Will, can God forgive people that have had an abortion? See, in that moment, she wasn't asking about the theological context of, of being pro-life, or anything like that. What she was really asking in that moment is, does God still love me? 
does God still care for me? Can God still forgive me right now? See, this is the challenge with, with sometimes the brand of Christianity is we're not known for our love for others. But sometimes we're known for the way that the media portrays our relationship with Jesus. Like we become Christians, then all of a sudden we become really judgmental or, or we're really against all these different people in the world. But realistically, God says that the world will not know us for our theological concepts or for our st- stance on certain topics. The world will know us for our love one for another. The world will know us for our love. And this is where I believe we need to rebrand Christianity. I believe that the whole world out there should know that we are a people that stand for hope, that stand for love, that stand for life. Not for judgment, not for hate, not for division, but for unity. I think that this this concept of, of how we're perceived, the jackets that we're wearing, how people look at us and view us is really, really important to the brand of Christianity, which is really, really important to God's kingdom how his people are seen. I think that another part of rebranding Christianity is to do with language. I, I think language is really, really integral to the way that we, we outwork our salvation, and outwork, outwork our, our lifestyle. See, the language we use can sort of determine how people view us and how people like, think we live our life. For example, if I'm ever walking around and I hear someone say that something is awesome, my first assumption is that they, they might actually be a Christian. See, it's such a Christianized word to say the word awesome. So when you're on like a, a building site or in a meeting or you're going about your day and someone goes, oh, that is awesome. You're like, I bet that person spent a little bit of time in church because Christians love that descriptive word. See, that la- language is integral for a lot of reasons, but language is also integral because God tells us that, that we need to speak truth. We need to speak truth. There's a, there's a passage, I just want to read from um, Ephesians 4, verses 15 to 16. It says this, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. One thing about truth, which I think we get from this passage here, is that if love isn't felt, then truth isn't heard. If love isn't felt, then truth isn't heard. There's this saying which goes around and it it says this. It says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's that same sort of concept. If people don't feel love when you're speaking truth into their life, then they're not going to accept the truth that you're trying to speak to them. That same year when I was in school, I would have been maybe year 11 or year 12, um, one day we're sitting in class, we're doing English, and my English teacher says to me, Will, I've got a question, and this is in front of the whole class, so all 30 students stop their work, put their heads up, and, and the teacher goes, I went to this church the other day, like I'm not a Christian, but like I went to this church because I'm about to get married, and um, I thought, oh, they're doing like this marriage course thing, and, and like I, I want to sort of be prepared for marriage and all that sort of stuff, but... But at the end of this course, they did this really cultish thing. And I was like, oh, no, what happened? She's like, well, they all gathered around and they said, let's all hold hands. And I was like, okay. She goes, and then they started speaking in different languages. And she's like, 
what was that? What, what was happening in that moment? I, I don't know what was going on. And I said to her, well, actually, like, miss, because she was my teacher, I said, that, that, that comes from this, this story in the Bible in Acts chapter 2, where the, the Holy Spirit comes and people start speaking all these different languages and it's really miraculous and it's really awesome and, and people like are in tune with the Spirit and God's doing a new thing. I said, and that's why people today still, still pray in tongues or still pray in these different languages. But one thing which I think is really powerful is in Acts chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. A little bit through the verse, it says, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. See, when we speak in different languages, and when we speak in tongues, or when we pray in tongues, we're declaring the wonders of God. But something that's really important as well, is when we're speaking a language, even if that's English, we have to take the time to say, what are the people beyond my words actually hearing? See, because communication has, has three meanings. Communication, when you speak, when you talk to people, it can either have the intended meaning, that's what can come across. It can have the wrong meaning, or it can have no meaning at all. Intended meaning is important, and that's what sort of governs the words, the language that we use. I, I grew up in Richmond, and when I was uh, 14 or 15, I got a job at McDonald's, and I became a crew trainer there. But one thing which was really, really exciting working at McDonald's was there was like always this huge rush, but communication was so important. See, when something was about to run out, we had to tell the other members of the team. So if you were working on the, the fry section, which is all the chicken nuggets, all the chicken pieces, and all the apple pies... You had to be communicating how many nuggets were left. That way you know whether you have to cook some. But there was one bit of communication which, which was always stressful. That's when someone started their communication with the word waiting on. Because that meant that someone had ordered something that we don't currently have cooked, which means you need to cook it. And apple pies were the worst because apple pies, I think, took about six minutes to cook. So when someone says waiting on pies, you know you're in trouble. The intended meaning was, you better get some apple pies in that fryer right now, otherwise someone's going to get angry. So now when I walk into McDonald's and I'm ordering, sometimes I just throw out, I just yell out just subtly to the back area, I say, waiting on pies. And you see one of the young, usually one of the young boys run out the front, open up the, the apple pie cabinet to see why there's no pies in there. And when they open to see pies, it's like this stress relief, like, oh, thank you, Lord. There's, so there's still pies. See, the intended meaning moves people to action. See, the wrong meaning, my, my brother growing up, I've got a brother that's a couple years younger, and um, he used to pass out quite regularly. He'd have like a fit, and, and sometimes that would happen when we'd be on like a, like a roller coaster, or we'd be at like a, like a fair or something like that, and he'd be like, Will, Will, stop the ride, I'm going to pass out, I'm going to have a fit. And, and he had like quite a few fits, so what had to happen was eventually he had to go get an MRI, and they scanned his brain, and um, right before they scanned his brain because he was quite young. They said, listen, we're going to have to put him under anesthetic so um, that, that way this sort of can go smoothly so I'll stop moving. And my dad's like, not a problem. So my, my brother's lying there and, and the doctor comes in and my dad's there with him and the doctor says, listen, we're just going to put you to sleep. And my brother started fighting the doctor. He wouldn't let him put the mask on his face. And my dad's holding down my brother and the doctor's trying to put the mask on. See, that the problem with that, that language, put you to sleep, was that two weeks earlier, we had just put our dog to sleep. So my brother was lying on this bed thinking they were about to kill him. So he was fighting for his life because the meaning of the words was different to him. 
what was communicated was communicated wrong. It held the wrong meaning. But I think one of the challenges we have as Christians now is that some of the words we use don't have the intended meaning or the wrong meaning. Some of the words we use now have no meaning at all. We're currently um, looking at the Olympics, and the Olympics is an amazing thing because nowhere else in time have we ever measured something down to such a minute time frame. If, for those of you on Facebook, um, does anyone know who the fastest human in the world is in the 100 meters? Most people would know. It's like a household name. Usain Bolt. What a time. You know, he ran the 100 meters in 9.58 seconds. Less than 10 seconds to travel 100 meters. But a tougher question is, who's the second fastest human in the world at 100 meters? And most people don't know who it is. Most people don't know that there's a guy called Tyson Gay, and he ran 100 meters in 9.69 seconds. That's just 1,100 slower than Usain Bolt, but no one knows him, and no one remembers him. Because he wasn't in that, like, that really like, minuscule amount of time higher. They only started measuring to the thousandth of a second back in the 1992 Olympics. It was the Winter Olympics at the time. They started measuring. That's three decimal places after a second because all of those decimal places were important. Who's the best? Who's the greatest? This is what the world esteems as awesome or as great or as important, the seconds. So when Christians come through and start talking about eternity, the world has no, no concept of how to view eternity. They're not concerned with the hundreds and thousands and millions and billions of years we're going to spend in heaven because they're still so concerned with the seconds right now in their life. This is a challenge for the gospel because we preach a message of eternity that doesn't resonate with the people we're preaching eternity to. We need to change our language so that people can receive the message of the gospel. People can receive the hope. One thing I've realized is that when Jesus preached and when Jesus spoke about the things of God, he used parables that were relevant for the time. He used parables which were contextual for the time. See, Jesus was a tradie, but he still spoke like a farmer. Jesus was a tradie, but he still spoke like a fisherman. He was relevant in the context he was in. He spoke the language of the people around him so that they could receive the word, so that they could receive the truth in love. One of my favorite verses in all time is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. It says this, For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. Some translations say, today is the day of salvation. When we preach the gospel... We have a message that is relevant for today, that is relevant for right now, that is relevant for this second. It's a, it's a message that can bring hope right now in people's lives. It's not just an insurance ticket to eternity. It's a message of salvation that transforms and changes lives today in this moment. It transforms and changes people's situations right now today. That's the message we come to bring as Christians not a salvation that just helps you for eternity, but a salvation that begins right now, that begins today. The world is concerned with the, this moment. 
with today. So many of the books that are out there currently, so much of the philosophy that is going around at the moment is concerned with now, the power of, of now by Eckhart Tolle. He's talking about this moment and not worrying about tomorrow. So when we bring in a message about tomorrow, it's hard for, for non-Christians or for people that don't know Jesus to understand that, to comprehend that, to put it in a place of their mind of importance. It has no meaning at times for them. But when we can speak about a God that can change a situation today, that can bring healing today, that can bring a renewment today, then we have a message that is relevant for the world. This is where the church needs to rebrand our Christianity, that we have a power for today. We have a hope for today. We have something that can change your life in this very moment. See, language is integral, but hope is critical. It's so critical that we need to be ready to bring hope for all of humanity. People aren't going to find hope in our theology or in our ideology or how we do our sign-ins when you get to church on a Sunday. People are going to find hope when they experience the love that we, we come to bring. John 13, verse 34 to 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's what people are going to see in this time. That's what people are going to see through this pandemic, that Christians continue to love one another and bring love to the world. Even in times of isolation, even in times of lockdown, people are going to reach out to Christians who have love for one another. People are going to reach out to people who are showing love in a time of such division in the world. That's where the power is. That we would be known for our love, not for our judgment. That's the Christian message. That's what Jesus came to bring. That's what John 3.17 says, For I was not sent into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's the message of hope that we bring for all of society, for all of this world. Maybe you're sitting at home right now. Maybe you, you don't know Jesus. Maybe you haven't experienced the love and the transformation of Jesus in your life. Maybe you're looking at all the situations around your, your family, your work at the moment, and there's just like a complete lack of hope. Jesus can change your situation. Jesus can change your life right now. You can experience the hope of Jesus Christ in your household, in your lounge room today, in this moment. Right now, I want to pray for those of you that are sitting at home and just concerned with, with what the world's going to look like in the next couple of weeks even. Wondering where the money's going to come to pay the bills. Maybe you're out of work at the moment. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but it's something that, that you don't know how to step into, but you want to step into. I just want to lead you in a really, really simple prayer. It's just six words. And I just want you to say this at home. It's not every part of the conversation you need to have with God, but it's just where it starts. Just pray after me. Jesus, I give you my life. It's that simple. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray for your power right now. God, that you would come and you would flow through all the lives of those that are watching this stream right now. Lord, that your hope would reach beyond the people that are watching this into their communities, into their worlds around them. Lord, I pray that your message of hope would not be stifled by isolation or lockdown. Lord, I pray that your message of hope would go deep into all the world, that your gospel, Jesus, would be felt through all of Australia right now.
Lord, I pray that this world would not see Christianity for judgment. But Lord, I pray that they would see Christianity for the love and for the hope that it brings. Lord, we pray for those that are having a really hard time at the moment in this lockdown. Lord, those that can't see family. Lord, those that have family members that are sick and isolated. God, I pray for your grace in their lives, your peace in their lives right now. Lord, your healing in their lives. God, we want to hand everything over to you today, this moment, tomorrow. We hand it all over to you, God, because we trust. We trust in you. We trust in your grace. We trust in your love. Thank you, Jesus, that we're able to stream. God, thank you, Jesus, that we're still able to gather in a virtual sense and worship. And Lord, we look forward to the day that we can gather together once again in person. Lord, that we can worship you. Lord, that we can just hear your word, God, even in the building. But Lord, right now, I pray that our hope would go beyond the lockdown, Lord. The love would go beyond the lockdown, beyond the four walls of our houses and into all of the lives around us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name.